Good morning, everyone. My name is Peter Milliken. I'm one of the pastors, if we haven't met. Uh, it's great to see you here this morning, and I'd love to meet you after the service. If you want to come and introduce yourself, that would be great. Uh, Pete Sondergeld has led us really well in the last four weeks on um, the series on sexuality, and uh, he has earned himself a break, and so he's, uh, he's taken some annual leave away. Uh, he's going to go sit by a beach for a little bit, and... Um, and we think he deserves that. And so, uh, unfortunately, that means you're stuck with me for the next three weeks until he returns. And uh, I'm going to just lead us into Christmas. And uh, what I'm hoping to do and planning to do for the next three weeks is to give you something to think about as we head towards Christmas that has something to do with the story of Jesus coming into the world. Uh, the sermons will be a little bit shorter. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah amen. And... Uh, That'll just help us with kids that are in the building rather than in programs. Um, and I just really hope that it helps you to, um, to understand Christmas a little bit better, but to appreciate a little bit more what God has done for us through Jesus. So to begin, we're, uh, we're going to play a little game to start with. We don't often do this at uh, Restoration Church, but, you know, it's Christmas and holidays and... So let me start by, um, I'm, go I'm going to give a line from a movie, and you need to tell me the movie that it's from. Uh, so this, uh, this first one's, if you don't know this, you're going to have to um, hand in your, uh, your identification as an Australian citizen, and we'll send you packing somewhere else. It's the Constitution, it's Marbo, it's justice, it's law... It's the vibe, and yeah, it's, it's just the vibe. The castle, we all got that one. What about this one? You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. A few good men. Yes, that's a movie based off the pastors here. <laughs> just kidding. All right, this last one. Exactly. Because isn't it the first cardinal rule, rule of perm maintenance that you're forbidden to wet your hair at least 24 hours after getting a perm at the risk of deactivating the ammonium thioglocolite? Legally blonde. <laughs> now, what have all of those movies got in common? Can anyone tell me? Somebody came close over here. Law. They're all based in a courtroom. Right, they all revolve around the court case, court room. And this morning, we're going to be in the courtroom. And so we're all going to join uh, a, a courtroom in the book of Isaiah. And uh, good news is that uh, we're not on trial. Uh, the nation of Israel is. And uh, we're going to see what happens in this courtroom. You see, we've decided that in the courtroom, this is where justice will be served, right? Where uh, punishments will be handed out accordingly to what the defendant has done wrong. Or they will be freed and let go in innocence if they haven't done anything wrong. We've, this is our way of kind of administering justice. And uh, I've never been to court myself. That's just uh, probably good for you to know. And just, just so you know, I, I haven't been there, and, uh, not for lack of trying when I was a teenager. At, um, nearly got there once when I threw an egg at a cab driver um, before I was saved, all right? Just relax. But no, I've never been to a courtroom. But I was thinking about it this week, and um, 
you know, in many ways and in many times, I, actually, I, I do feel like I'm in a courtroom. And maybe you can identify with this a little bit too, where uh, as a Christian, um, oftentimes it feels like we, we, um, we're in the courtroom before the Lord. And we ask sorts of questions like, uh, man, have I done enough today to, uh, to be worthy? I often just think to myself, man, I just haven't been reading my Bible much. Like, I just haven't read it enough. And uh, I don't know if God's pleased with me about that. I don't, I don't think I've prayed enough. And I feel like I've got some guilt hanging over me and that, that the Lord is unhappy about that. Um, I've, I, it shows up in all other areas of my life too, where I just think, have, have I shared the gospel much lately? You know, I just walk past people all the time or get into conversations with people and I never tell them that I'm a Christian or I even get to the gospel. Have I preached a good sermon? You can tell me after. Have I pastored lately the way that Jesus would have me pastor? And you can fill in your sort of scenario there of like, where is it that if, if God was standing in front of me that I might feel guilty? That I might wonder what he would say about my efforts or what I've done with my time recently or where I've fallen short. It's like I'm in a courtroom. And sometimes, and I'll just be honest with you guys, sometimes I just feel like I've, I've, I'm a disappointment to the Lord. And He would be disappointed with me. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you have felt that. Maybe you feel that right now. Maybe you walk into church this morning and you feel like, man, the Lord is unhappy with me in some area, in some way, in some capacity. And I'm in the courtroom. And I'm the defendant. Is that true? Is that how God thinks of us? Is that, is that the way that Christianity operates? And, and many of us would say, well, no. And yet we still feel like that. And so we could, we could articulate that that may not be the truth, but our lived experience, if we're honest with ourselves, is often like we're in the courtroom. And we're on trial. This morning we're going to see a nation who is disobedient, rebellious, hypocritical, disordered. And God is going to take them to court. Where the truth is going to be revealed and justice is going to be served. And the defendant on trial is the nation of Israel and the persecutor, prosecutor is God Almighty. Maker of heavens and earth. The Holy One Yahweh, who rescued his people out of slavery and Egypt. He will be bringing forth the charges. And in chapter 1, he is going to bring in a jury. Now, who would God bring as a jury into a courtroom? I mean, he couldn't really bring people. And so in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Hear me, you heavens... Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. 
And so he brings in his jury, which is the heavens and the earth. They will be the witnesses to this trial. They won't be making the decision. They will be there for observation only. This is taking place in Isaiah. It's approximately written between 790 and 680. We see that Isaiah is in operation there, and he's, he is a prophet during uh, quite a few kings, some good, some bad, in the land of Judah, which had split from Israel. If you know any of your Old Testament history, you've got Israel that split into two nations, and uh, we had Judah, who had some good kings, but a lot of bad kings, and you had Israel who continued on, and they had 19 kings, and all of them were evil until they got taken into captivity. So this is where it's taking place. He's, he's prophesying to, to Judah. That is where the event goes on. And what we're going to see is that he accuses Israel of three main things this morning. Firstly, he's going to accuse them of disobedience and rebellion. Secondly, he's going to accuse them of hypocrisy. And thirdly, he's going to accuse them of being disordered. So let's look at the first accusation in verses 2 and following of disobedience and rebellion. This is what he says. He says, I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its, owner, its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. What's he saying there? He's saying even animals know where they get their food from. Even they recognize the person who sustains them. And they're animals. And Israel, you don't. You don't understand. I had a, a pop, he uh, passed away in 2005, I think it was, and uh, he was a farmer. And he had a farm out at Dolby. And uh, uh, he, was, um, he, was, he was a farmer for a while. He, he had a variety of things, but he, he had cattle for a while there. And uh, when I was a young kid, I uh, went out to the cows with my sister and my cousin. We thought we would go and feed the cows just because we wanted to. And uh, so we grabbed some grass in our hands and we walked to the paddock where the cows were. And as we walked towards them, they got scared and they jumped the fence and went into the next paddock. And, um, of course, we thought we could solve this, so we went into the next paddock with the grass and started walking again towards the cows. And what did we do? We spooked them again. They weren't happy and they jumped the fence to the next paddock. So after two paddocks, we thought, well, maybe we don't know what we're doing here. And I went and got my pop. Now, my pop was very good with animals. Like, he was just one of those guys. I mean, I think if you're a farmer and you have um, animals, uh, you're farming cattle and those sorts of things, you just have to be good with animals. But he was excellent with animals. I don't, just had that ability. And, uh, and we went and told him, we said, pop, the cows are jumping the paddocks. They're over there where they're not supposed to be. And he went and he started walking towards the cows. And uh, he made this call. And some of you who are farmers know that there's these things called cattle calls, right? And it's a strange noise that you make with your mouth. And I won't do it this morning, but it's just like this weird, like, okay, it's like, mong, mong, mong. Like, have you heard anything like that before? It's just weird, right? But what happened was when he did that, all the cows looked at him and they all just started trotting off towards him. Like they knew exactly what they were doing and it was rehearsed and he walked through the gate of the first paddock, second paddock, back to where they were meant to be. And I was like, what is going on there? 
And what I realized was, as I grew up a little bit, is that every time my pop went to go and feed the cows, he made that sound. And so they associated that sound with getting food. And of course, cows wanting food would just follow him wherever he went, all over the farm. And God says to Israel, the ox knows its master. The donkey knows its own manger. It recognizes who feeds it, who sustains it, who's providing for it. And yet, Israel, you have forgotten about me. You don't even understand anymore. Israel, you've turned your back on me. You, you act corruptly. Look at verse 4. Woe to the sinful nation, the people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. You've turned away from everything I've instructed you in. So those are the charges against Israel. And it's not as if God hasn't given them plenty of warning about this either. If you know the story of Israel, that they were rescued out of slavery and out of the land of Egypt and into the wilderness, as they get to the wilderness, they make this covenant with God called the Mosaic Covenant, where God says, you're going to be my holy people. You're going to be different to other nations. And the way that you're going to be different is I'm going to give you instructions on how you're going to live. This is going to be how you treat one another. This is going to be how you treat me. This is going to be how you deal with sin. And you're going to have feasts and you're going to have sacrifices and all those sorts of things, right? And he says, this is what I require of you. And in return, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to look after you. I will protect you. I will give you this land. I will, I will help you in battle. I will make sure that you're prosperous. I will make sure that you grow into a great nation. And then he says, if you don't, however, if you turn away from me, if you're disobedient towards me, I'm going to bring curses of discipline to you. And this is laid out in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, and you can go back and read all of them if you like. But he says, I'm going to bring discipline upon you so that you might return to me. So you would know that you are walking away from me and you would recognize the error of your way and come back. Right, and so let's just read a couple from Deuteronomy 28 of some of the curses that God would bring upon Israel if they were disobedient. 28.35 <clears throat> The Lord will strike you on your knees and legs with sore boils, from which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. Okay, so that's the first one. Keep that in mind. 28.52 It shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land. And it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land which the Lord has given you. And so you're going to see the high places, the fortified places, they're going to come down. Those security that you think you have will come down. And then in 28.43 The alien, so this is the foreigner, the person who's not an Israelite, who is among you, shall rise above you higher and higher. And you will go down lower and lower. And so you're going to lose stature in your own country if you walk away from me. And, you, and he gives this covenant to the people. And he says, uh, would you, do you agree? And they say, yes, we're in. Everything that you've told us, everything that you said, we will obey. Hmm. So... What does he next say in Isaiah? With that in mind, what does he say? Why should you be beaten anymore? 
Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head. There is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores. Does that sound familiar? Not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate. Cities burned with fire. Does that sound familiar? Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you. Laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. And so we see that God did exactly what he said he would. He kept his word. He disciplined his people. But Israel continued in disobedience and rebellion. Now, as we're reading this, probably sitting there shaking your head being like, Israel, why would you do that? You dumb people. I would never do that. Right? I would have turned. I would have changed. But as you read through the Old Testament, what you need to realize is there's a little bit of Israel in all of us. If you're being honest with yourself, I can see myself in that. How many times do we willfully disobey God's word and good instructions? Sometimes even as we're experiencing discipline or the effects of it, we continue on. We remain defiant. How many times have you potentially lost your temper with your kids or your spouse and you've got to apologize and ask for forgiveness and then two days later, same thing again. What about lust? How, how often have we allowed that to just linger even though we know we should close that door. And we say things like, never again. I'll never do it again. But days, weeks later, all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's kind of desirable again, isn't it? I've been personally convicted over the last four weeks as we've gone through the sexuality series of the ways that I've fallen down and fallen short in God's standard for creative order and in the way that we are to operate sexually. I will put my hand up first and say I've fallen short of that mark many times in many ways. And I told myself I wouldn't again, and yet I did. First area of accusation, disobedience, rebellion. The second area is hypocrisy. Verses 11 through to 15, this is what God says. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and fat and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my court? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. 
They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Now, if you know anything about your Old Testament history, like we've just gone through, God had given instruction to the people of Israel of how to bring sacrifices and offerings to Him for forgiveness of sin. And yet here, God says that they're detestable to Him, that He no longer wants them. You see, Israel would bring their sacrifices, bring their offerings Slaughter the, the lambs and the bulls and the goats. And yet, there was nothing inside of them that actually acknowledged their sin. And their heart was not where it was meant to be. The number one commandment in the Old Testament that Jesus talks about was that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And yet here they were participating in the feasts and festivals, but none of it meant anything. Look at verse 13. He calls them meaningless offerings. They were never meant to be meaningless and worthless assemblies. Their heart was not in it. They were merely just going through the motions and then continuing on unaffected by what they had done. And it's now again that we begin to shake our head and think, oh, Israel. Oh, Israel. Those fools. Why would they do that? I'd never do that. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like your Bible reading or your prayer was just going through the motions? I have. Maybe you feel like your heart wasn't really in something. Ever come to church, sung a song, never even thought about the words? Ever given an offering without considering what it means? You see, you may just be a little bit more like Israel than you think. Final section, the prosecution of God is... He's going to talk to them about what they should have been known for. So we've had the, the rebellion and the disobedience. We've had the hypocrisy. And now we're going to look at how they are disordered. He says, this is what you should be doing. Verse 16, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And as you read through the Old Testament law, you see that over and over again, where Israel would stand up for those who couldn't stand up for themselves. Seeking justice, defending the oppressed, taking up the cause of the orphan and the widow. You see, if you defend those people in those situations... There is no real payoff for you. They can't pay you back with anything. And so it reveals your own heart and character when you defend and stand up for those who can't do it for themselves. And they can't pay you back in any capacity. God says, this is what you should be known for, but your lives are so disordered. You don't look like that at all. Israel failed in their ability to be a holy nation. They turned their back on God. 
who rescued them. They were disobedient, they were rebellious, they were hypocritical, and they were disordered. Israel just can't seem to get themselves together, can they? So, what shall God do with them? What shall the Almighty One decide? What should the Holy One, how should the Holy One deal with such a people? What would you do if you were God? And these were your people. And that acted this way, and you about all of it, and the way that they had treated you. What would you hand out? What do you think would be fitting? You squish them forever? Wipe them out completely? Start again somewhere else? Enslave them forever? Till they've figured out what they've done? Or you make them pay it back somehow? Let's find out. Verse 18, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. The judge is making his declaration. He is about to hand down his sentence. And the defendants will stand and there will be silence as they wait. Wondering, what have we got ourselves into? The judge is about to make his decision... Here it is. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be made white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Did you hear that? Sins like scarlet made white as snow. See, scarlet was this dye that they would put into materials and it would stain it. And uh, once you got that into it, you could never get it out. It was impossible with man. But it's possible with God. We are all more like Israel than we care to admit. Let me ask you, have you been in the courtroom lately? Do you say stuff like this or believe things like this where you say, um, I can't talk to the Lord. I've, I haven't got my life together at the moment. I can't bring myself to Him in prayer. Like, I just did something wrong. Or I'm, I'm guilty in some way. Or I haven't lived up to some expectation. Let me get myself together a little bit, clean myself up a little bit more, get some things back on track, and then I can pray. I can speak to Him. Do you say things like, I'm, I'm a failure. I've blown it again. I'm a hypocrite. I say one thing and then I do the other. I 
I can never be consistent in my reading of Scripture. I try and I try and I just, I get a couple of days in and then I forget about it. And God has disappointed me in that, in me in that. I want to be close to God, but I just get distracted. I can't get myself together. I can never please Him. Any of that sound familiar? Do you go over that sometimes? Sometimes I think, uh, let me just be a personal here. Sometimes, you know the story of um, Zacchaeus in the tree? He's, Jesus is walking by and Zacchaeus wants to get a look. and uh, So he climbs a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus walks by and he stops and he looks at Zacchaeus and he recognizes him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, let's have a meal together, right? And it's this awesome story of like, Jesus sees you. And then sometimes I get to this place where I'm like, I don't think he'd stop. I think he'd just keep walking by the tree and I'm standing up there. And I can get to that place where I just think, Jesus wouldn't stop for me. He'd stop for Zacchaeus and he'd stop for others. I don't know if he would stop for me. I'm in the courtroom. I'm on trial. And I don't think the judge is going to be favorable. So here's what you need to know the court case is over. God's made his decision regarding the sins of the world and of Israel. And he's decided that he would make a way that sin could be forgiven. That there would be complete forgiveness for the disobedient, the rebellious, the hypocritical, and the disordered. That there would be one who would come who could fix this. Where we were completely disobedient, he would be fully obedient. Where we were rebellious, he would be fully submissive to the Father and his will. Where we were hypocritical, he would walk in exact truth, in everything, in word and deed, he would be true. And where we, were re, where we were disordered, he would come and reorder creation. And it's at Christmas time that we remember that Jesus came into the world. God became man. And he made a way for scarlet sins to become white as snow. And so here's the good news for us in Australia... We're going to have a white Christmas this year. If you haven't had one before, you've got one this year. Even though it's not going to snow outside, if you believe in Christ, your sins have been forgiven. You have been made white as snow. So now we know what God has done. There are still some problems to answer, such as, how is he going to do this? Because if God is God, he has a requirement to deal with sin accordingly. And far be it from God to go back on his word that those who commit sin would die. And so next week, we will start looking at how. But today, it's what? What did he do? He forgave our sins. 
This morning, I wonder if there is a few of you who are in the courtroom. And it's time to trust afresh the goodness and grace of God. It's not that God doesn't know about these things. You do not want a God that just doesn't even know about your sin because then you feel like you're not knowing, that He's actually not seeing you and knowing you. He sees it, but He also sees what Christ has done and His sacrifice and the blood that was shed covers it completely. Total 100% forgiveness. And then before a few of you say, well, why don't we just keep sinning? Well, you need to read Romans where Paul picks up that argument and says, well, should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. But let me remind you this morning that God loves you. Like you. And if Jesus was walking past the tree, he'd stop for you. He'd look up and he'd say your name. And he'd say, let's let's dine together. God saw the most rebellious, disobedient, hypocritical and disordered people and said, I'm not walking away. I'm not giving up. I'm going to make a way. And Jesus did that on the cross. And the moment that you believed for the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus and what he did, the gavel was banged on the desk and you were declared righteous. So when you sin, when you fail, when you're hypocritical, when you're lazy, when you feel like you're a disappointment, you remember that the court case has been decided. The judgment has been made, and by Christ's work, you are righteous. Just as we wrap up, I... I just wanted to give you something to remind you of this, because I, I... Most of the time, my problem is not the content as much as it is reminding myself and living by the truth. I was thinking about Christmas here in Australia, and I was thinking about the decorations and the songs that get sung and uh, some of the movies that you might watch, and I realised like none of it really makes sense for us in Australia. We sing songs about roasting chestnuts on the fire. We don't do that. Uh, we, we, We talk about a white Christmas and Frosty the Snowman and dashing through the snow on a one horse open sleigh. We don't do, like, that has no cultural significance to us. We have Christmas in the summer where you're walking around in board shorts and a singlet and you've got the Barbie on and maybe you try to get to a have a swim in the pool. It's like, that's so different, right? Actually, those things don't make any sense to us at all. And then I realized Christmas, what God did doesn't make sense either. Because none of us would have done that. None of us would have seen those Israelites and what had gone on over hundreds of years... And then decided, you know what? I'm going to make a way for them, for their sins to be forgiven. It makes no sense. And yet that is what God has done through Jesus Christ. He came to earth to make a way 
for our sins to be forgiven. And so as you head into this Christmas period over these next few weeks and you go to look at the lights and you hear the songs that we sing, uh, as you walk through the store and they've got the Christmas music going over and over and over, as you look at the decorations and there's snow on them and there's stockings and, and uh, snowflakes and those sorts of things, you, I wonder if it would be just a little reminder to you that that doesn't make sense for us here. And uh, that's not the only thing at Christmas that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that God would come and forgive us of our sins unless He really loved us. Unless He really did want to dine with us. For we to be His people... For we to be in relationship with him forever. Would you pray with me? Father, many of us spend too much time in the court. Wondering what do you think of us. Wondering when the judgment might come. Help us to know and understand your love this Christmas in a fresh and new way. That we wouldn't just understand it at an intellectual level, Lord, but we'd experience your love and, and what it truly means to walk with you in that. May we be convinced that we are declared righteous before you, not based on what we've done, but because of the work of Christ. We thank you for Jesus. Help us to know the Saviour better this Christmas than we did last. To love Him more. Pray You'd help us to change our hearts in areas that we can't change in ourselves. May Your Holy Spirit do the work that we know we cannot do. We thank You for this time. We pray You would bless our church. May our worship be worthy of our holy, almighty, sovereign, yet close and personal and merciful and graceful God. In Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit.